constant ringing or buzzing noise? But there's hope. For help and more information, call 800-837-8428 or visit liferebalanced.org and discover a Life Rebalanced. That's 800-837-8428 or liferebalanced.org. Sponsored by the Vestibular Disorders Association. Now live at 6 o'clock, KWVA Sports is broadcasting from the campus of the University of Oregon. That's the show. It's Quack Smack. I like talking talking sports. Quack Smack! What? Quack Smack. Every Monday through Thursday at 6 p.m., the KWVA staff dissects all things Oregon athletics. <laughs> I'm, I'm experiencing life right now. I'm not sure how much more can be said. Quack, quack. Now I'm on the show, and I don't know how long I'm going to be here. It's time for your nightly dose of <laughs> Quack Smack. Now let's head into the KWVA Sports Studios for the show. Wednesday, February 14th, Valentine's Day. If you're out there listening to us on Valentine's Day, why? Just, just why? Could be like, a romantic thing. Could be a romantic thing. Together. Could just be you love us so much that you would rather spend your Valentine's Day listening to us than doing a number of things. But hey, Beautiful. we got a good show for you if you are listening to us. Saul Galvan, alongside Max Ragel, making his Quack Smack debut, and Jack Wargo, the KWA Madden Bowl winner. This is a legendary crew. I will say that I've hosted this show probably about twenty times, and this is probably one of my favorite crew rotations that I possibly had. We got Jack Wargo. Won the Madden Bowl Challenge not too few a uh, few weeks ago, and then Max Rago. I've known you for so long, but it's I taking know, I know it's, it's taking, taking a minute way too long to get, to get on here. Man. But this I, is this is too fun. This I, is too cool not to pass up. Strong I, I was three. strong strong entrance for sure. I mean, I was gonna call you by your uh, nickname that we have for you over at Duck TV Rago to start Rago? off, but I know this was your first appearance, so I didn't want people to think yeah. that was your name. I'm cool. Uh, I'm cool being known as Max Rago over Rago Bagel. That seems a little bit more professional, a little bit more legit. Yeah. But there will be times <laughs> when I do call you Rago Bagel. But his name is Max Rago, yeah. not Rago Bagel. For now, it's Max Rago. Rago exactly. Soon. Don't we got worry. Ben Schoenfield over in running production, run a couple steps over there, imparting wisdom as he usually does. Uh, but how are we doing today, gentlemen? It's uh, middle of week six. You know, we're kind of in the back half of the term now, probably past midterms for some of you guys. I mean, how's it been going? I took one midterm today. Found the answers on Quizlet. It was a good day. There you go. So, uh, That's a dub right always there. Always a good day when it that was, happens. Yeah, so it was the study of film. Not that hard, but uh, good hump day. Good hump day. That's good, what we like to hear. Good hump day. Week six, this is where the burnout starts to settle in a little bit. <sighs> You're telling like, me. I feel like you get past the midterms, and then it's just a grind just to get to the end of the term. It feels so much longer than the first half of the term did. All the homework, all the studying feels like it takes way longer. It feels like there's so much more, but you know, this is probably the most comfortable I've been, I've been in a term. The past couple of terms, I've let the I've let the burnout get to me, but uh, I'm feeling all right. I'm feeling all right this term. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel the same way. Like this is definitely the point where you kind of lose a little bit of motivation. But you can't really, because I mean, we only got four weeks left. It seems know, like a crazy. lot. It seems like a lot, but I mean, think about it. We're, we're already in week six. Like it's it's gone by like that. It's almost March. It's almost yeah, March, and crazy. and think about it. You got the warm weather, the beautiful Eugene weather to look forward to. Spring break's coming up, and then you know spring term. Everybody's favorite term, you know. I feel usually like I was the just settled into winter break too. I agree. I agree. I agree. You know what? I I won't lie. The the ice storm that we had that basically gave us like a week off class just didn't help out yeah, because messed no. up the whole like winter term. No. Coming back like that was a second winter break almost. Like coming back from that, it, it felt like we were coming back from our first winter break, our real one, and it felt like we were just starting the term all over. Like I lost all my study habits. No. I didn't. I wasn't in a good routine and. It took yeah, me a little I, bit of recovery, and then boom, we're at midterms week five. And I feel like I feel like snow snow days and snow weeks are a high school thing. Once you get to college, and that happens, it's just a lot more tough. It's just a lot harder to recover from. I mean, it was fun though. It you was know? fun going around sledding, fun. sliding, you know, slipping a lot too. Was, I mean, I don't know about you guys. Almost I almost breaking a knee. Maybe, almost breaking like, a knee. You know, it's, uh, it's funny like. Being from Oregon, like knowing that this is what happens when it's snowing, yeah. when it's an ice storm, like seeing a lot of California people, a lot of people that you know didn't grow up around snow, just kind of freaking out about it. But no, I don't count that as snow. That was a pure ice storm that was just wreaking havoc on the whole city. Oh, yeah. I mean, like <laughs> it was like you couldn't get around anywhere. You're, most of the cars were frozen. You couldn't really no. walk without slipping or, you know, unless you had like like spikes on or something like to dig through the ice. Like it was really, really bad. No. I've never seen anything like that. And I'm from Chicago. Like we deal with really bad weather. But never nothing like that where it just com almost like oh. shuts down a city where nothing is happening. But I mean, hey, like people took advantage of it. It was pretty fun, and I mean, now we're past it. Now we're getting towards the 
the good part of the year, the spring weather when you know we just be outside until eight o'clock playing spike ball. Like, the I'm ready for it. The vibe is ramping up very quickly. Right it's now. ramping up tell, right you now. You can smell it. You know what else is ramping up right now? Crossover season. So much <laughs> happening on in Oregon athletic sports. Oregon baseball is set to kick off their season this weekend down in Texas. Men and women's basketball. They have a few matchups this weekend as well. A lot of other duck athletics, but we're going to start with Oregon softball because they just begun their season this past weekend down in Clearwater, Florida. Now, Yuretsky was there on the call. They went 4-2 and two in their first six games of the season in the tournament they had. They lost the first game to Indiana 5-7. to seven. They beat Kansas and Liberty and Missouri State pretty comfortably, and they lost to the number 5-ranked team in the NCAA in Clemson. 2-3 to three was a very close game, and then they beat Army to close out the tournament 12-1. to one. Uh, it was a very good showing, and I know the record, you know, it, obviously it's a winning record. It's 4-2. and two. It was the first six games of the year, but even though they lost against Indiana and Clemson, like, it was a very good weekend for the Ducks. I think it was a very good opening weekend that set the standard of what this team is going to look like for this year. The offense was on point, especially against some of those unranked teams like Missouri State and Liberty where they got run rolled. Even in Army, too, they won 12-1, which is a very good way to end off the uh, the tournament. You know, and we see it against Clemson, Indiana. Those were really close games against teams that are probably yeah. top of the, you know, top of the NCAA rankings. Clemson, I mean, they only lost by one run. And oh. right now they're the number five team. They've been one of the top teams in the nation uh, these past few years. They just have such a good program. And Oregon was able to compete with them. They only lost by one run. They kept a close game the whole way through. And I just thought overall that it was a pretty good weekend. But what do you guys think went well this past weekend for the Oregon softball? I mean, if you're putting up 40 runs in six games, then the offense is on fire. You, you, they run ruled three teams. Three out of three out of the six games they played were run rule. Back to back shutouts. Eight nothing against Missouri State, and then I believe it's eight nothing against Liberty as well. The day after, like that's just a great way to start off the season at the plate. Like you don't, you don't see that super often from teams at the beginning of the year. But like this, this Ducks team, especially on offense, the lineup is just it's just super deep. There's a lot of power hitting all around. There's a lot of hitting for average. All throughout the lineup, the team also like it was led by Kyle Shar. Kyle Shar went six for six on stolen bases, but twelve stolen bases and fourteen attempts—that's awesome. Like you know, like no matter where you are, no matter who you're playing, like the Ducks were aggressive on offense. They were aggressive on the base pass. They were aggressive at the plate. They were aggressive in hitter counts. They were aggressive in pitcher counts. It was just all around. It was really, really good to see at the plate. Jack? I completely agree. I think. Both Indiana and Clemson, I know Indiana is not ranked right now, probably will be, but uh, it would have been nice to get a win versus one of the top teams, but still getting out of this, having, a, I would say, a pretty good tournament, especially not, obviously, Clearwater, Florida, you're basically across the country, and just getting the wins that they did, solid, keeping it close with Clemson, obviously solid, but I don't know what you would expect more. It's the beginning of the season, obviously, there's still going to be some like hiccups and stuff, but... Everyone was almost dominating. I mean, finishing off 12-1, to 1, what are, you can't get better than that, I would think. Yeah, I mean, the, the lineup this weekend was just unbelievable. I really think that they picked off right where they left off uh, from last year, especially the heart of the order. Max, you mentioned Kylie Shar, she led the way. But, I mean, you got to give a lot of credit to Eric Carson. She oh. won Pac-12 Player of the Week last week. She had drove in 10 RBIs. She had two homers uh, in the series. She's picking up right left off in the regional. She's picking up right where she left off in the regional. She was big for Oregon last year. She's going to be big again for Oregon this year. And But, I mean, the, the depth of this lineup just continues to be a, a problem for the opponents. Alyssa Daniel, Paige Nicky, Emma Koff, too. We didn't really see her behind the plate uh, this tournament. You know, we, we might see her uh, slide into that catcher position. Obviously, that's what Melissa Nabari recruited her for, she, to come in and replace Tara McGowan, who graduated last year, is that veteran catcher behind the plate who can really lead this team, uh, especially in close games like the one that they had against Clemson. But this weekend, she didn't really see any action behind the plate. It was mostly Valeria Wong, which – she did really good as well, but I would imagine sometime in the future we are going to see Emma Koff behind the plate, especially with this rotation, which brings me to my next point, actually. The pitching was just outstanding. We really saw kind of what the offense did, too. That It kind of picked up from when they left off, but now a new addition that just got added, Taylor Spencer, a true freshman. She had an unbelievable weekend. We didn't really expect to see her. At least I didn't expect to see her. We knew that it was going to be mainly Stevie Hansen, Morgan Scott, and Reagan Breelove, which was really the trio of this team last year. Hanson and Scott were kind of in that fight for this top position uh, as the number one pitcher on this team. But now they bring in this third, you know, kind of pitcher from uh, freshman, Taylor Spencer. She throws less than a one ERA, 
She had four appearances. She had two wins coming out of the weekend. She just did unbelievable. I mean, you know, it's hard to pick, like, what did better this weekend, the offense or pitching. I mean, you know, Jack, what do you think? Yeah, I think Taylor Spencer absolutely dominated. I mean, she had one hiccup versus Kansas, but it was four-inning pitch, which is a lot for a softball pitcher. Really good at the like on the mound. I obviously as a freshman, you don't expect that. No matter what sport you're in, dominating this early as a freshman, it was good to see. And pitching could be easily one of the best parts of the Ducks' whole like team this year. Yeah, and I mean, because you know, you knew the pitching staff was already going to be really good, but now you it's know with Taylor Spencer being how dominant she was, I think yeah, I think her best appearance was probably against Kansas. Otherwise, I would argue that maybe it was against Army, where she pitched two. Yeah. In two-thirds innings, she gave up no hits and had two strikeouts there. But even against Clemson, too, she came in for an inning, no hits, no walks. She didn't strike anybody out, but very good, clean inning against uh, Clemson, one of the top teams. And same thing against Indiana. She only gave up one walk in that one. So not only was she pitching very well, she was pitching very well against one of some of the better teams in that tournament. And that just says a lot about a true freshman and kind of the mentality that she has. Also, the trust that Melissa Lombardi had in her. You know, we thought maybe we were going to see her at some point, maybe against Army or – Missouri State, but Melissa Lombardi had a lot of trust in her, and she threw her out there for some of the most important games, and she delivered. So, you know, how much more dangerous is this rotation now after seeing Taylor Spencer this weekend? It's it's nails. It's nails, man. It's lights out. Like, I want to I wanna highlight something from Taylor Spencer. In her fall ball, her senior year, this past fall, she pitched 42 innings. She had 65 strikeouts. She put up a 1.23 ERA, and she never let she never had an opponent batting average over 200. And 42 in innings pitched during her during her fall ball, and it's like to add that to a rotation that was already so solid last year. This is this was a rotation last year that was top four in the Pac-12 in ERA. They were top four in the Pac-12 in WHIP, and to add a true freshman that was as lights out as she was in her first collegiate games, and as lights out as she was in high school, like it's just it's just adding fire to an already f- rota- to a rotation already full of fire, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun year in the circle for this Ducks team. Yeah, I mean, I hate to look forward, but their team, the what they're playing coming up, two ranked teams, San Diego State not ranked right now, but is close to just outside of the top 25. I think this is going to be a great series coming up. The Campbell Carrier Cartier Classic. Cartier. Cartier. It's, a, it's, yeah. it's a little bit of a tongue twister. Yeah, <laughs> three classic. C's, three C's, but uh, yeah, two like great softball teams, and it's going to be interesting to see how they compete against two even like decent programs that I think they could go in and obviously like dominate yeah let's not forget that the the Ducks are the you know reigning champions they won this tournament last year they would had really good success down in San Diego and obviously like you were saying in the beginning with the travel you know it's not that far they're only going down to San Diego it's it's a great vacation it's a great vacation a good spot warm weather right now get out of the Eugene cold you know while it's it's still cold here Um, but I think that could be a big factor too where they don't have to travel a lot they don't have to leave out earlier I mean we know with Florida they were basically there for almost a week I mean they were there from Wednesday up until Monday, I mean, that's just a, a very long trip. And they still came out of there 4-2. and two. The travel didn't really bother with them, but it's going to be a lot easier on them this week. And then, yeah, I mean, this is good. this could be another tournament where Oregon has a lot of success because they're going against ranked teams. But we see this past weekend how they do against ranked teams. Like, they are ready to compete. This is a team that, you know, has a lot of returners, some new faces as well. But it's still the same mentality, the same goal that they have year in and year out. Melissa Lombardi has really transformed this program since she's came to Oregon uh, a few years ago, and she has really created this winning mentality that I, you know, honestly, I I'm really excited for the rest of the season. Like I think this is going to be a special special team, especially after this weekend, just seeing all the returners do well, and then some of the younger, you know, players like Taylor Spencer doing well. Um, it's just so exciting. But you know, even though it's only been one weekend. Obviously, we can't really tell yeah. much from it, though. Right. Small sample size, very small sample What are size. some early season improvements that you guys think Oregon's going to need going forward, especially against going against these top-ranked teams? Well, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to talk about the improvement when they, when they put up 40 runs and allow 14. But, like, one thing that the Ducks are going to need to do, obviously, if they want to make a deep tournament run again, is they got to win these close games. Like, they had the tying run at the plate multiple times in the Indiana game. They had the tying run on base multiple times in the Clemson game. I think they had it multiple times in the Clemson game. But you want to see the Ducks be able to come back from down two or three runs in the final two or three innings. Like, that's going to be huge for this team moving forward. It's going to be huge for the team at the end of the year. And you hope that that's a skill and something that they can get comfortable with because we've seen you've seen in the past, like, big teams that just blow out, blow out the teams they're playing throughout the whole year and just put up run rule after run rule. 
they get to the tournament and they find themselves in a close game and they don't they don't know what that's like. They've been they've been blowing everybody out all year. So the Ducks they dropped two they dropped their only two close games that they had this past weekend in Indiana and Clemson and you just you want to see the Ducks get those games. Those are those are those are close games at the at the end of the innings that you want to see the Ducks pull out and you want to know that this team can be clutch. I completely agree. I think it's just basically just defeating the bigger teams in like uh, softball. I think it's just going to come down to they're a mainstream team now where like last year it was like, oh, it's a sneaky team from Eugene and stuff where now people are aware this is a good team. This is a good program. It's going to be about like how you go in like the middle of the season because like last year was at the end of the season. They really started to mm-hmm. like go crazy, but it's about consistency and just these bigger teams like Texas A&M and San Diego State yeah. coming up. Just there's a bigger them. target on the Ducks' back yeah, now. Definitely. After yeah. uh, you, if you, I mean, if you walk off the regional and put yourself in the super regional, the, the following year, you know, every team's going to know that. Every team's going to have you circled on their schedule. So the Ducks definitely have a lot more pressure on them this year than they than they did coming into last year. So you just you just hope that they can respond and they can close out games that are close. Yeah, I completely agree with both of you. I really, I think what separates the good teams from the elite teams is, like you said, finishing those close games and who can pull out of them. You know, Oregon last year didn't really have a, a lot of success in close games. You look at the UCLA series, there was a couple games in there where they, you know, they lost close. They only lost by three or four runs uh, in some of these Pac-12 teams. Uh, you know, same thing at the end of the series, too, against Utah, where they just needed to win two of those those last three games against Utah to ultimately try to host a regional, but they couldn't done. They got swept by the Utes, and it just really wasn't a good showing. But I really think that that's kind of the next step that they need to take is really – Obviously, this is a good team. They're going to be on ranked teams 10 out of 10. Like, they can go in, put up eight runs against, you know, an unranked school, but it's really going to be against these Pac 12 opponents because we know the Pac 12 is going to be a stacked mm-hmm. year, especially oh, yeah. for softball. You know, and it's last year. They're really going to have to, you know, just come out of these close games with, with wins. And I think a big part of that is just creating more opportunities for themselves and taking advantage of those opportunities. Max, like you said, they had the, the winning run a couple times on base and. They just couldn't get it to score. I mean, obviously, if you want to become an elite team and be in the top 10, Oregon dropped a place, too. I think that's also worth knowing. They dropped a yeah. place in the top 25. Is it a fair ranking? In my opinion, not really because they it, still it had – It was still close with Clemson, Indiana, but they did lose to both those teams. Clemson also dropped in the polls, too, so I think that made it a little bit better um, as far as the drop. But if they want to be, you know – be able to be one of the elite teams in the top 10, which I think I thought last year they were more than capable of being a, a top 10 team. But really that end of the season, it, it kind of didn't do them any good. But this season, I definitely have a lot of confidence in this roster. And I yeah. think it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun to, to watch this team the rest of the way. It's yeah. it's fun having postseason aspirations, especially after what happened last year. And that's yeah. why we want to see the ducks win these games, these close games and be clutch winning these games at the end of the game is because if, they get back to the regional. If they get back to the super regional with a chance to get to the College World Series, that's what the games are going to be. They're going to be close games. They're going to be dogfights, and they're going to come down to the final two innings. They're going to come down to the last couple pitches and the last couple at-bats. So that's what it's going to be, and the Ducks have to be ready for that, and they have to prepare this whole season. They have to play the rest of these regular season games ready for these close games, ready for these close ones where it's going to be clutch at the very end of the game. Yeah. I think with how bad basketball has been in Eugene <laughs> this year, I think I think we need some playoff teams. This is in a the bright spring. side. I think we need the spring both baseball and softball to get us some playoff. Uh, yeah, like, get us to. And you know what? Season. I think this weekend it definitely you know provided a good sense yeah. that you know we the Ducks could be back in the postseason come the end of spring. Ducks taking on the Campbell Cartier Classic this weekend. Now Yuretsky is going to make the trip down with Aiden Hess in San Diego. Going to be really exciting. So catch all those games on 88.1. And with that, we're going to step aside for our first break. When we come back, though, we'll talk about some Oregon baseball and their upcoming season opening series. Come to the side that the things that I tried were in my life just to get high on. KWVA. KWVA. The Skate Park Project, formerly the Tony Hawk Foundation, is a skateboarding organization that helps communities build public skate parks for youth in underserved communities. To date, nearly 600 recipients of the Skate Park Project grants have opened their skate parks. These parks receive more than 6 million annual visits by youth who benefit from the active lifestyle and camaraderie the facilities promote. Learn more about the Skate Park Project by visiting www.skatepark.com. 
www.ucla.org. Students, when I call the reason for your absences throughout the years, please exit the auditorium without your high school diploma. <clears throat> Too tired. Family trip. Sick day. Starting the holidays early. Starting in the sixth grade, students who miss 18 days or more of school in a year for any reason will fall behind and risk not graduating high school. How many days of school has your child missed this year? Absences add up. Keep track at boostattendance.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. Hey, it's Mike Rowe, and I've got gas. Natural gas, that is. It comes to me through a series of pipes buried in the ground. Pipes that all too often get damaged by people who dig before calling 811. This causes real problems for millions of Americans like me who rely on natural gas to heat their homes and cook their food, but it's even worse for the people who hit the gas lines. Well, here's the good news. You don't have to be one of those people. Just call or click 811 before you dig and visit safeexcavator.com for more info. Did you stretch your legs? Did you get a snack? Great. Then let's get back to Quacksmack right here on KWVA Eugene 88.1 FM. Bring it back here on Quack Smack for this Wednesday edition. Saul Gava alongside Max Rago and Jack Wargo. We just talked about some Oregon softball. They finished up their opening weekend. And now we move on to some Oregon baseball because their opening weekend is this weekend. A lot of weekends in there. Yeah. But a lot hey, of it, it, the makes the week, it makes the weekend so much more enjoyable for sure. Busy uh, <laughs> For oh. sure. So Oregon baseball are going to head down to Texas for their opening weekend. They'll take on Oklahoma on Friday. Baylor on Saturday and the number 18th-ranked Texas Tech on Sunday. A pretty big series or opening series for this Duck team, and they're looking to start off strong, especially after last year, making it all the way to the Super Regional against Oral Roberts, but ultimately losing. And even though a lot of guys transferred out, this is still a team that has a pretty dangerous roster hitting-wise and pitching-wise. And, uh, you know, we'll get right into it. Starting off with uh, some, you know, sad news or, or bad news, actually. Uh, if you're an Oregon fan, but Isaac Aon not going to be with this team this year. So painful. So painful. He got hurt, and he was announced that he's not going to be available this season. He was out all of last season when the Ducks made the Super Regional run, and it was unfortunate, too, because oh, he was really going to be kind of this top arm in this rotation that was supposed to be really, really good behind Logan Mercado and R.J. Gordon, who was also returning from uh, injury season last year. you know. But with last year, too, Chase Stoffel kind of stepped into that role as number one pitcher. But you would have thought that if Isaac Aon would have been in that role, too, how dangerous this he rotation would have been. He would have been the Friday guy. And then, and then this year, Aon was supposed to be the Friday guy. He was going to be the number one starter, going to be that game one kind of mentality guy for Oregon. But unfortunately, he got hurt again. And Mark Wazikowski said he's not going to be available this year. So... Uh, you know, no Isaac Aon, it's painful, but now who does this team turn to? Oh man, you got it. You got to think that it's got to be Logan Mercado as that Friday guy, as that number one starter. Like this is this is what his senior year, his fifth year. Like he was absolutely lights out for the beginning of last year, and I know for a fact it kind of felt like last year Mercado was was just nails all the way up until somewhere around the middle of the season. You know, I can't I can't obviously tell you when, but like. Mercado had, I think, two back-to-back outing, outings where he just got absolutely lit up. Like he had one big inning in the, in the in the top of the first inning in a game at PK Park where he was just absolutely lit up. And then I think in his next start, in his next start, in his next outing, he got lit up as well, and it just completely ruined his ERA. It completely ru- ruined his WHIP for the rest of the year, and his stats and his performance was looked at a lot a lot differently for the rest of the year. But this was a guy that was absolutely lights out for the beginning of the year. This was a guy that could get you through seven innings. He could get you into the eighth inning. Like he was, he was a dude that could carry a no hitter through five or six innings, like somewhat consistently. And it wasn't crazy to see. Like this was, this was, this the top arm for the Ducks for the Ducks last year, and it's probably going to be the top arm for the Ducks this year because of no because of no Isaac Aon. But you know, you got to you got to just believe that Logan Mercado is going to have another lights out year, and you just got to hope that he doesn't have one of those outings where he gets absolutely lit up for seven or eight runs on homers in the first inning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree with Mercado. I think he's going to be the number one guy. R.J. Gordon coming off an injury from last season. I don't think that many people are talking about him because he did miss the full season last year. He was pretty good 
uh, two years ago, 2021. He was only not as many appearances as 2022. 2022 had a 5.64 ERA. Not great, could get that down, but really put up some pretty solid stats. In 2021, only nine earned runs. Uh, went to 43 the next season. Obviously, that's ginormous, but uh, missed the whole season last year. No one's really talking about him because of that, but obviously it's going to be a shaky start because coming back from injury, you're never going to be 100%. But coming just from a staff that, like, the pitching kind of caused it at the end of the day in the Super Regional, I think this is a new-look squad, but it could be – kind of shaky at some times but if the guys are healthy and they stay healthy and consistent it's going to be a dominating staff yeah i mean now with aon out the having this rotation stay healthy is going to be really key especially with gordon and mercado mercado didn't really deal with injuries last year but obviously like you said with gordon him coming off an injury year he's not going to be 100 percent right away so kind of easing him back into the gameplay but you know in terms of number one pitcher yeah i definitely think Logan mercado is going to be the friday guy like he he has the experience. He has, you know, the the stats. He has um, the scheme kind of of what a Friday guy should have of just pure dominance of, you know, strikeout, the velocity. I think, yeah, he could definitely fit into that role of being the Friday guy. Really, I think um, what I was trying to ask, or at least like what Mark Wazikowski is, is going to have to figure out, is who's going to be that Game 3 starter. Like who is going to yeah. come in on Game 3 either when they're up 2 nothing, they're trying to go for the sweep or they're trying to go for the series win. Like, Last year, the Ducks really struggled in Game 3s. Like, pretty much Friday, Stoffel would be an ace. They would win Game 1. Game 2 would be a little shaky. Mercado would get them deep, and then they would either win it in a close fashion or either get blown out. And then Sunday was just like an all-free-for-all with the opponents because just a bullpen day. Just a, it would just basically be a bullpen day of, like, a plethora of guys uh, coming in and just not being able to get through, you know, an inning or two. This year, that's going to have to change with the Ducks. The offense is not going to be what it's like last year, so they can't really, you know, rely, on, rely it. on it as they did last year because the offense really did carry this team last year, even though they had a really good rotation in Stoffel and Mercado. But this year, it's going to have to rely more on the pitching. And the nice thing was is that Aon was going to be the top guy, and he was going to be one of those more reliable guys on Friday that wasn't really going to need the bullpen too much on Saturday and Sunday. But now that he's gone, Mercado's going to have to step into that role. R.J. Gordon will probably be the Saturday guy. And now, who's going to be that Game 3 starter? I really think that this is a good opportunity for one of the underclassmen to step up. You have Leo Ullman, Charles Bolgeric. Same thing with Grayson uh, Gristel, who, you know, he had an amazing postseason. I thought he was one of the the guys that came in uh, from the bullpen and really did well against Oral Roberts, against Vanderbilt. Like, he was – did really well. Um, He looked like a seasoned pro out there. But – you know, who do you guys think is going to be that kind of game three guy? Man, it's so up in the air because, like, this is this was a this was a pitching staff that last year coming into the season was so questionable because of how deep the freshman pitching staff was, and they were dealing with injury. Like, it's a complete swap in this in coming into this year and coming into last year. Coming into last year, it was okay. The Ducks have a very solid rotation and group of position players that have been here for two, three, four years, and a full pitching staff of freshmen. And the freshmen stepped up. They played a great season. The offense was there, and the Ducks got to the Super Regional. This year, they lose so many. They lose a lot of players in the draft. You lose like, I don't know what the number was of how many players the Ducks lost. I think it was draft. like six or seven. Yeah, like yeah, it was, yeah. a, it was a good amount. We got, we got a lot. We got a haul in the in the in the MLB draft. But now it's a completely new group of position players, and you got to think that the the bullpen with the group that's now sophomores has got to be solid. And I think. It's so hard to pinpoint which one of these guys is going to be that game three starter on Sunday, but they all just they all have really high upside. Like last year, we saw so many moments of these freshmen: Leo Yolman, Matthew Grabman, Grayson Grinzel, Turner Spoljarek. All these guys they had outings last year that were just so nails, and you could see them as a starter on a game three or a game two. But then they'd also have outings where they'd get lit up for seven runs in one inning or they'd mm-hmm. allow we'd lose a game 14 to two because our pitching just got out of it too quickly in the game so you got to hope that the consistency can ramp up a little bit because obviously the velocity is there the command is there and it's it's, it's any given day for one of these guys especially these sophomores so i like it's it's so hard to look at this group of sophomores and just pick one guy that's going to be that game three starter because you got to think that coach Waz is going to mess around with it for the first couple weeks and it might take up until the second half of the season before he nails down who that game three starter is and then who comes in after him, mm-hmm. like in line. Yeah. So it's just it's all up in the air at this point for the sophomores at least. But they're all they all have it. They're mm-hmm. all nails the way they want to be. It's just the consistency has to ramp up. Yeah. 
I completely agree that it's going to be like a roulette for who's going to go at that game three. But I think it's going to be Turner Spoljarek, the Canadian wonder. Uh, <laughs> he might have been my favorite out of them last year. He was he felt like the most consistent out of that freshman group last year. Yeah, he went seven and zero last year. Freshman too, that's great. But six point five five ERA could go down. Yeah, obviously this year he might not get bailed out with that with the lineup being a lot weaker. So it's just about him getting better and just getting more strikeouts. Simply, he allowed 43 runs. Obviously, that's not going to be great. Uh, he was able to get away with it with just the lineup last year. So it's just about him rising up. Now as a sophomore, obviously, you're hopefully your worst season is going to be your freshman year. And he's just learning under the program. And I think he should be the guy that goes into the number three. But like you said, I think it's just going to be rotating until they find a guy that can consistently do it. Yeah, no, I mean, it, for the first couple of weeks, Mark Wazikowski is definitely going to play around with it because you just never know, you know, one guy could have a really good Sunday performance and then next Sunday exactly. he, just, yeah. he could just bomb it. So it's, it's, gonna, it's any given day for these guys. Exactly. It's going to take it's gonna take a couple of weeks to kind of figure it out. They're going to play around with it. And I think that's really what's going to make games one and two of these next few series really important for the Ducks at least to take those. And then, you, you know, you can kind of play around, but you still win the series. Um, I, I really like Turner Spoljarek, too. I think he was one of the bright uh, freshmen last year who really came in. Um, there were a couple outings where he kind of got lit up, but outside of that, uh, along with uh, Grinsell, I thought he was one of the more seasoned pros, even though he was a freshman. I also like Matthew Grabman, too. I thought, you know, he was one of those guys who he has a lot of velocity. I think, you know, he had four or five pitch repertoire, but I think he could be the other guy that could possibly step in in that Sunday role. You know, they, they might do a, a combination, too. We, we've seen it with a couple teams where they kind of throw two guys out there if one whoever's ready that day is going to go, but we'll see. You know, the, the nice thing about Oregon is that even though they did lose Isaac Aon, they still have a lot of guys to turn to. Like, this is a young group that, got of, that got of a lot of experience from last year, uh, you know, playing some of these tougher games in the Pac-12 and then the Super Regional. So they have a lot of experience now. And they'll be able to come in and, you know, do really well for this team that is going to be looking for that third pitcher. The other thing, too, I will say is that, you know, obviously when you're a starting pitcher, you want to go into a deep of, uh, you know, really deep yeah. into the game. But for a Sunday guy, and especially for this Oregon team, how they did last year on Sunday, they don't really need someone to go, you know, seven, eight innings. They just need someone three to go would be three to four innings, oh, like yeah. especially on a Sunday you know, assuming that they only use three, four bullpen guys the rest of the weekend. I mean, if, if, if one of these guys can get out there to three or four innings, it will do so much better in terms of bullpen arms, in terms of, you know, putting guys out there on, on short rest. Like, really, it's not too much to ask from a guy to go out there for three to four innings. But obviously, we know against some of these tougher teams, like, they can get lit up real quick. Yeah, it felt like a big problem with the freshman, with the freshman, freshman pitching room last year was – the big inning like they give up a six or seven or an eight run inning and it just completely puts us back for the rest of the game because in the offense is stuck swinging at balls outside of the zone trying to play catch up and trying to put runs on the board with with the long ball and it just doesn't work out like that so this team this this group is going to have to get the command down a little bit if they want to have a season reminiscent of that last year and man like it's just it's just so up in the air like it, i can't imagine how stressful it must be for Wallace trying to na nail down this group of nail down this group of sophomores cuz it's just you know we say, we're going to keep saying it over and over again it's any guy's day it's just every one of these guys can be nails and every one of these guys can be really bad on any given day absolutely so yeah no it's it's definitely going to be interesting to see how these first couple of games go and to see you know who ultimately fits into that game three slot i think it's going to take a couple of weeks but i think sooner or later one of these guys are going to step up and and really prove that they are the sol the solidified game three starter i want to flip over the other side of the lineup to the offense yeah there were you know obviously we knew that the pitching was going to have some gaps but i think they filled those pretty well but the offense still a lot of question marks a lot of guys left last year mm. for the draft i mean you talk about replacing sabine ceballos Colby Shade, oh, Riku Nishida, like there's Those just it's speed, replace, like, like speed, power. You oh, know, everything. there's just you know yeah. there's just so much that this line have to replace. And there's a good amount of guys that are still coming back. You got Drew Smith, who was a really good hitter last year. Same thing with Bennett Thompson and Jacob Walsh, who were just absolute powerhouses in the lineup. So you know those three obviously are going to be the main priority, probably the two, three, four in that lineup. But then you look at the rest of the lineup. You got some I, – I don't even want to say wild cards because some of these guys did get playing time last year and showed real promise, like Carter Garotti, who got hurt a little bit, but, you know, he was still very good in his games. 
Um, you know, you also got Dominic Hellman, too. He played in the first couple series uh, last year before getting hurt. He didn't get put on the playoff roster because of injury, but he shows a lot of promise, too. But just looking at what this potential lineup right now, you know, what are some of the gaps or some of the guys that really need to kind of show out to, to get back to that level of offensive production that they had last season? I think – Oh. No, you go, you go. Anyway, I think Jacob Walsh, I think he needs to balance his contact and power. 2022 – great hitter 295 especially as a first baseman slash designated hitter like that's great numbers and he had a better on base percentage but more hits more everything then he goes to 2023 has more home runs better slugging percentage but more strikeouts he batted 245 which isn't great so he most likely will be a big league first baseman slash dh eventually but with this team he's gonna need to step up his game definitely and go back to hitting at least above 250 especially like he needs to show up and obviously uh, Bennett Thompson, Drew Smith, those guys are going to be the number, like the two best hitters on the team. Walsh just needs to find the right balance of getting on base while also hitting for power because he came up clutch multiple times with massive home runs. And obviously, I love those, but I would love a better hitter at the plate. Yeah. I think a big guy that I'm looking for to make that step up is Drew Smith. Mm-hmm. Like he, he had 96 plate appearances last year, he hit 365, and he's a middle infielder. He's gonna be he's gonna be that shortstop or second baseman. He's gonna flip flop between there, and that's gonna be a that's like we're talking about the hitting, but that's gonna be a huge hole to fill as well. Like that middle infield is gonna be is gonna be sketchy for a little bit until they know that they can get it settled down. And with that, you're gonna want those guys to be able to hit. You're gonna want those guys to be able to get walked and get on base with their speed. And you just hope that they can keep the offense potent. And Drew Smith is a guy that they're really leaning a lot on to make that big step after just getting 96 plate appearances last year. Yeah, I mean, the, the middle infield is definitely going to be questionable. We'll see how Wazikowski kind of plays out with it. I really think the returners are going to have to step up, of course, like Walsh and, and Hellman and those guys who had a lot of experience from last year. I'm also looking at Jack Brooks, who redshirted last year, but he is an absolute stud. He's a utility guy. He has a lot of power. He has a lot of size. He's 5'10", 185. I think he could be one of the more powerful hitters in this lineup as he keeps getting more and more in bats. So under the radar. I really don't think that this team is going to be as much of a home run team as last year. I don't think the power is as much, especially 105 homers last year. Yeah. I don't think that they're going to be like that. I think they could return to what they were the previous season where they were more of a, you know, get on base and driving runs, which obviously, like I said, that's good. That's what you want in this. Like you don't want home run hitters, you know, like you said, hitting, you know, 105 home runs, but only scoring like 200 runs. Like you want guys that are going to be able to drive in, in runs. They're going to be able to put up, uh, put up a lot on the scoreboard so really you know i, I think that's going to be better for this team that they're not going to have as much power mm-hmm. because then they are going to be focusing more on driving runs on playing situational baseball which i think could do them a lot better especially since they are a younger team you know right now they're picked fifth right now to finish in the conference even though they won the pac-12 tournament uh, last year it, it's you know a lot they of people had a crazy ranking exactly so you know it, it, they're going to have a lot of questions to answer especially in this first weekend uh, oh, real yeah. quick before we jump to break, you know, what are you guys' opening weekend predictions? Just kind of like either game by game or like what do you guys think they can do in the series? Oh, man, it's going to be I, – I think they're going to get that Baylor game. I, I'm confident that they're going to get that Baylor game. Baylor's offense has stepped up a lot from last year. The Oklahoma and the Texas Tech games are huge, and I, it's like those are two huge games to start off the year with. Oklahoma has an absolutely trip – a three-headed monster in the outfield. They have They have a – Brendan Geerton transferring from Texas Tech. He throws 97, 98. He struggled with the command though, but he they have transfer they have transfer pitching, they have transfer offense, and they they look scary. Oklahoma looks like a possible Omaha team is their ceiling. So if, if if Oregon can get that Oklahoma game off bat to start the year, that's huge. And I think I think it's gonna come down. I think that's gonna be a two or three run game. I don't think either one of these teams is gonna blow each other out. I think like. Oklahoma can win it by two or three runs, and I think Oregon can win it by two or three runs. And I think it will come down to the last four innings. Like, I think it will be close after five, and it will come down to the last four. It's just what we've been talking about situationally. Like, who's going to be the pitcher at the end of the game? Are we going to pinch hit anyone? What's the lineup going to look like? So many, so many questions coming into the into this season, and it's starting off with a big opponent in Oklahoma. And you just got to hope it pans out for the Ducks. I agree with you. I think Oklahoma is going to be probably the best game from the Ducks because it's a big opponent, and it's the first day of it, and it's like the first time you see the team. Baylor is going to be most your best chance to win, but a day three Texas Tech Oof. where it's going to be most likely a home game for them. It's going to be tough. They have one, probably um, the best or one of the best catchers in baseball, Kevin Basil. He's going to be an MLB star eventually one day. Stud. Batted 348 <laughs> last year, 10 home runs. He's unbelievable. 
it's going to be a tough game against Texas Tech. So I don't think they're going to win it. But then again, they win it. It's a huge surprise, and the Ducks win the weekend. Yeah. That's what we've been talking about. That's that, that's that game three, like the, the, what the problem that we've been talking about with mm-hmm. the pitching yeah, is they got who's going to pitch game an three. An unlucky draw for Texas Tech. <laughs> What's it going to look like? Yeah, yeah game, I mean – Game I, three, Sunday, 1230 against Texas Tech. They're, they're ranked – they're ranked in the top twenty. Like it's gonna be, it's gonna be a dogfight, and you just hope the Ducks can stay in it because Texas Tech is scary. That's a very good word to say. It's gonna be a dogfight this weekend. These are three opponents that are really good, even though they're not in the conference. The Ducks don't see these opponents too much, but I think this is gonna be a good way to kick off the season. Uh, and one. and I'm excited. I'm really excited. Ryan Milano, our former sports director, now a broadcaster for the Oregon Sports Network, he'll be in Texas calling the game for the Oregon Sports Network. Oklahoma. 1 o'clock on Friday. Watch Yeehaw. it if you can. Yeehaw. <laughs> and with that, we're going to step aside for another break. When we come back, though, we're talking about some Oregon men and women's basketball. Keep it right here on 88.1 FM. KWVA. KWVA. You're listening to KWVA 88.1 FM, Oregon Student Radio, home to news, analysis, and the hottest takes about Oregon sports and the flagship station of Oregon Volleyball. Roby slams it down. The Ducks keep dancing. The Elite Eight, here they come. Keep an eye on the schedule and tune in here or online at kwva.uorgan.edu slash listen-live whenever the Ducks take the court. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you prevent wildfires. Dude, I've got this. I've been camping since I was five years old. But I am a camping influencer. You know what, I'll bet you five bucks. Assistant Smokey, what is the best way to put out a campfire? To put out a campfire, drown with water, stir, drown again. Then make sure the fire is out cold by feeling with the back of your hand. Wait, really? I'll take the five bucks. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ag Council. You're listening to a live broadcast on KWVA 88.1 FM. Lucky you. Licking your chops for more? Head to our website at kwva.uoregon.edu slash category slash sports to listen to a live broadcast, peruse past episodes of our nightly talk show, Quacksmack, or travel our archive of all things Duck Athletics. Once again, that's kwva.uoregon.edu slash category slash sports. This is Neil Everett from SportsCenter. When I'm in Eugene, I listen to Quack Smack. And you better, too. KWVA Eugene, 88.1 FM. Go Ducks, Quack! Bring it back on Quack Smack for this Wednesday edition. So we'll go on alongside Jack Wargo and Max Rago. We talked about some Oregon softball, Oregon baseball. We got about uh, we got about 18 minutes left, and we got some things, some more sports we got to talk about. So we got to go a little quick here. I don't want to rush you guys, but just giving you the heads up there. But we're, for, we're first we're going to talk about some men and women's basketball. Uh, the men's team they won one and one this weekend against the Washington schools. They beat Washington on Thursday night, 85 to 80, and then they lost to the Cougars, 56 to 62. On Saturday, the the margin of error for this team is is really you know it just keeps it smaller, just keeps getting smaller game. and smaller it's with each down game. To Vegas, it seems like it really is, and unfortunately, the Ducks just keep fighting the injury bug. Uh, in case you haven't heard, Nate Biddle not going to be joining the team the rest of the year. Um, you know, we knew that he's been dealing with the injury bug with the the wrist injury since the beginning of the season. He made the trip to USC and UCLA. You know, he didn't play because of an illness. And then now after this weekend, Dana Allman said that he is not available for the rest of the season. Uh, you know, he really hasn't played much this year, but we know Nate Biddle last year especially, he was one of the top players on this team next to Infali Dante. Like, they play complementary basketball. They're two bigs that, you know, can really control the paint. And now that Nate Biddle is not going to be with this team anymore, I mean, what does it kind of do for this team's men- team mentality that they're not going to be without one of the star players for, you know, a possibly a postseason run? It just it puts so much pressure interior on the interior defense of Dante and KJ Evans to just step up even that much more because our the big men for the Ducks have just been so they've been so consistent in terms of minutes played and, and matching up against the big men of the teams that they play that when you lose a guy like Nate Biddle, it's just the guard depth is there. You know, they have they have the perimeter defense to hang in games and keep themselves alive. It's just that interior defense just gets becomes such a question mark when you get one of those guys to go down. Yeah, I think Nate Biddle was just expected to do a lot this season, and him being on and off, it just sucks for the Ducks. 
it's going to be a tough one. You have to rely on freshmen, which they've basically been doing most of the season now. And it's just they're not getting the product that they were hoping for. I think Washington State was a game that they should have won, but there was just so many errors shooting horrendously oh from threes. Mm-hmm. It was just horrible to watch at some points. It's just it's a tough team to really look at because, you know, it's every year. It's like, oh, if, if they were healthy, it could be wholly, like a totally different story. But now it's just like – I wouldn't say that a lot of people have given up on him, but it kind of feels like that right now. Yeah, I mean, especially after the Washington State game. I, we talked about it, like, just it feels like after that Arizona game, like, every game counts now. And they won against USC. They won pretty comfortably. But then they lost against UCLA in a, in a pretty close game. They won Washington, and they lost against Washington State. Like, it's like the, 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 the hope just keeps going up, and then it comes down after that second game of the series. And like I said, the, the wire, you know, they're coming down to the wire now. You know, they only have a few more weeks left of basketball until Vegas and right now the resume is not looking too good for Oregon like right now I, they would probably be projected in the NIT um, and you know unless something miraculous happens in these last few weeks where they can win out they win that game against Arizona and they get a top C in the Pac-12 it's looking like they're gonna have to win the Pac-12 tournament if they want a chance to play in the NCAA tournament like they've lost these games that they should have won especially in the rematch against UCLA and Washington State like those are games that a lot of people expected them to win Obviously, Arizona was probably the, the, the one game, and then they're going to play them a couple of weeks that, you know, the voters knew that they weren't going to win. But if they kept it close, that still could have, like, been good for them. Mm-hmm. But now the spot that they're in right now, it just – it's not looking too good for them in terms of, you know, adding to their resume to try to make an NCAA bid. It really, it's going to come down to Vegas at this point. But they still have a lot of opportunities to, you know, going up. And they have one this weekend against Oregon State. Oregon State's not doing too good this year. They're bomb of the Pac-12. They play them twice in about uh, two weeks. They'll play them this weekend, and then they'll play them on February 28th uh, here in Eugene. Those are two games that could be very winnable, and they have to win them pretty much too, uh, you know, because now you're looking at the, the Pac-12 standings. Right now they're third behind Washington State and Arizona after they lost against the Cougars this weekend. I mean, you know, obviously, as long as they don't go behind UCLA, they'll probably end up with the top four spot. But with Oregon giving themselves the best cha- uh, the best chance now for a Pac-12 tournament victory, you kind of want to be up there with Washington State uh, for that number two spot, especially because you don't want to play Arizona in the first round of the tournament. Yeah, it's the, it's the shooting woes. I feel like like it's exactly this is this is exactly what happened last year in the Pac-12 tournament. Oregon had a shot in the semifinal of the Pac-12 tournament last year against UCLA, and they shot 25% from three and just did not stick around in it because they missed 17 to 23s. Shout out Will Richardson. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And the shooting was continued. What a a name now that Oregon Oregon fans sigh and get haunted by (sighs) each and every year. I saw he dominated in the G League the other day. So (laughs) (laughs) good for Will Richardson. Good for Will Richardson. Good for for Will Richardson. If you shoot, like, this was a game – that was for, like, currently second place in the Pac-12 against mm-hmm. Washington State. And mm-hmm. you shoot 22% from three. The free throws, too. The, the free, free throws, throws were absolutely oh, killing them. Like 7% from the line. And like, Dana Allman knew it, too. Like, he said in his post-game press conference, like, the free throws, we didn't hit them. That's the reason we lost. And, and it's, it, it shows, too, because they only lost by six points. Like, yeah, if they yeah. would have made their free throws, it would have been a completely they different game. They out-rebounded them, too. Typically, when Oregon out-rebounds a team, they win. They do good. And, and the same thing, too, with the defense. They didn't let up more than 70 points, which yeah, the Ducks— Very low-scoring game. Very low-scoring game. The Ducks still yeah. were able to win like, it. Washington State f- shot 41% from three, and, we lo- and Oregon lost by six. Yeah, like it's it, it's right there. It's it's so it's so close. And Oregon just it, you just got to you just you, you know that it, it's the shooting. It's got to be the three point shooting. It's got to be the consistency of the free throws. If they want a chance to beat Arizona, if they want a chance to beat UCLA, they got to they got to they got to they got to hit their shots, man. Like it, it's so simple, but it's like the statistics are there and it's such a consistent problem with this team. Mm-hmm. When I think of like a down year for the Ducks, I get like flashbacks to the year that they ended up making the tournament going on that miraculous run in the Pac-12 tournament. They had Peyton Pritchard back then and he was like the captain of the team and he led that team. They, I don't think they really have a guy like that that can help them. I know no. obviously Nafali Dante's been here forever, but I don't see him as like a guy that's a game changer that will absolutely like carry you to victory. Like, Pritchard really was the guy that year, but he also had some surrounding guys that also did their mm-hmm. job where this year it's if they're all off, they're 
it's a oh, hor- yeah. it's a bad day yeah. for a duck fan. They really like, they really haven't had like that guy pretty much. Like obviously you got Dante, you got Shellstead, yeah, but, Shellstead but could like grow into that, he but. could grow into that. Like the one guy that's like been able to keep him in a game when consistent hand. production pretty Kuznar, much. Kuznar can give you thirty points maybe. Exactly. But like no one else, man. It's just him. Exactly. Like there's never there's never really been like a solidified like top guy for this team. It's really like in night in and night out. Some guy steps up. See, there could be Kwame Evans. It could be uh, Oikwendo. You know, he's been really stepping up these past few games too. Like, th- there's so many components to this team, but I think sometimes what works for these more elite teams is having that one guy. Like you see it with Arizona, they have Caleb oh, Love. Like man. he's he's elite. He he's did he did really good against crowd. Oregon. Silencing crowds. <laughs> that like Oregon game, like man. you see Purdue too with Zach Eddy. Like they just have yeah. the star player that can go night in and night out and just put they have up. an NBA player. Exactly. Right? They like you have that NBA NBA caliber player that can just go out and give you, you know, 20, 30 points and, and grab wow. boards. Like, that's really, I think, what this team means. And I think, like you said, Jackson Shellstack can really grow into this play. Like, I'm really excited to see what he can do over these next uh, few years for this team, even though Biddle and possibly uh, – I'm sorry, even though Dante and possibly Biddle could leave next year. You know, we'll see if Biddle decides to come back for senior year. But with Dante, this is his fifth year. Like, I'm, I'm sure he's going to, you know, go to the draft. Well, I'm really excited to see how Shellstack grows in next year. Like, I think this is going to be oh, a, yeah. a good team. Same thing with Mookie Cook, too. You know, obviously yeah, we didn't see Cook this year, and it's, it sucks, obviously, but I think he's going to come back a lot stronger next year. Like, there were a lot of high hopes coming in from to this season, and, you know, I think he's going to be – you know, I think they're both are going to play really, really well next year for this Oregon team and really kind of get out of this, like, kind of rut that Oregon men's basketball have been. Uh, but now switching over to Oregon women's basketball because uh, we don't have a lot of time left. <laughs> uh, Oregon women's basketball, they, they've been struggling a good amount, especially in conference play. Um, they lost to Colorado and Utah uh, this past weekend. It wasn't a good showing for Kelly Graves' squad. And two it's, ranked teams it's coming up. only going to get harder from there. Man. Like you said, two ranked teams coming up, USC and UCLA. Uh, it's been bo- an absolute gauntlet of teams they've played. Like, it's like, just unfair at this point. The Pac-12 like, for women's basketball is so stacked. Complete opposite. It's, of yeah. men's. it's incredible how just how many top ten teams there are in this conference, and this Oregon team just it's it's a new problem every game. It feels like it feels like every single game they figure out what the problem was last game, but then a new problem emerges and mm-hmm. they just can't figure it out how to stay consistent. So when you're doing that in this conference with these many top ten teams, it's really dim i will yeah i will say too that i think a lot of this too is as it's fallen on the schedule because i think if you were to put this team in any other conference they would probably do kind of well like yeah it's really just the pac-12 conferences that like elite elite of all i mean going you know they had they had seven games in a row against ranked opponents including (sighs) utah colorado oregon state like it's it's a tough schedule and especially for a team that really you know it's different from last year you obviously had a lot of uh, transfers going out including India Rogers and Tahina Papao, like those were the two star players of last year and really kept Oregon in, you know, in line for uh, possibly a Pac-12 tournament title. Well, then they transfer out. You bring in Peyton Scott, but then, you know, obviously she goes down in the first game with an injury, which which sucks because she was going to be kind of the leader of this team, the playmaker, which they don't really have right now. Obviously, Chance Gray, she's at the guard position, but she's not a point guard. She doesn't set plays up. She's a shooter, mm-hmm. and, and you could see on the nights when she gets hot, she's hot. Like she can shoot the lights out and any single matchup, but she's really had to kind of go into that point guard position. And then I, the Ducks just really haven't been aggressive driving to the lane. I mean, Grace Van Sluden, it feels like she's the only one that's getting, you know, points inside the paint. The Ducks aren't mm-hmm. really being aggressive. I feel like this is a, a team that could shoot really great from the free throw line, but they're just not doing it. They're not being as aggressive and they're taking unnecessary shots that they don't have to. So, you know, as much as it sucks with this, you know, it, um, it's almost kind of like a, a storm pretty much like a, a and they're big, so good defensively they're really good defensively they're so i think good defensively yeah and that's the thing i, I like i said i think you got to give a lot of credit to this team for really sticking it out against these ranked opponents like i you know as, as much as it sucks the the position that they've been put in with with injuries and with the schedule i still think that this team has improved a lot from the beginning of the season they're still getting really good con- uh, production out of their star players including gray van sluen and philippine shade like they're their top three so you know like i said as much as it sucks that the schedule kind of had to pan out like this where they go against so many ranked opponents at one time. I still think that they've handled themselves really well. Yeah, I think, like you said before, it's the schedule is really – it's horrible for the women's basketball team. I don't I don't think it's fair at this point. It's, it's daunting honestly, to look at as a fan. Yeah, right? I know. Just all yeah. the L's on the schedule, it's a tough look. But uh, I think, obviously, you can't really say anything more about this year. They're not – like the tournament, obviously, the tournament's – 
like obviously something can happen and they go on a miraculous run not likely though yeah but uh it's just a tough season and it's almost like you just want it to end and like there's a set like there's clouds over matthew knight right now for both teams where it's just it's not looking great for better both. days ahead yeah. better days ahead yeah. for sure and big i mean 10. like and like i said yeah big 10 you know it's a new conference and especially because these teams are trending in, in kind of like that up direction yeah. you know you, it's really exciting because we know i think you know, looking at the, both these rosters, I really think that Oregon can compete in the yeah, Big Ten I next year. Like, yeah. obviously, for women's basketball, you have Iowa, and then for men's basketball, you maybe have Michigan yeah. and Illinois. But I think that these are teams that could compete really well in those conferences, and I'm excited to see how they, they compete next year. Um, you know, we'll see who ends up coming back. We'll see if the, the Stars end up coming back or if they're going to start relying on the freshmen. But either way, um, I think Oregon basketball is definitely trending in the right direction. Uh, we got about five minutes left, about five minutes <laughs> less than I that I wanted right. to less. But uh, we usually talk a lot about uh, the main sports at Oregon, softball, baseball, ba uh, basketball, football, you know, all the, the sports that we love watching uh, so much. But we really don't give enough credit to a lot of the other teams that are competing. So that's what I want to do right now with the last five minutes is give shout outs. I, I had I asked you guys earlier this morning to pick a team that competed this weekend. There were a lot of teams that competed this weekend. It was weekend fun for, to look at. It was fun to look at. So much success going on around in Duck Athletics. So I wanted you guys to pick a team and kind of give like a little shout out slash recap of what happened this weekend. We'll start with Jack Wargo. All right. Men's golf. They were at the <sighs> Amer Ari Invitational in Hawaii. Playing golf in Hawaii, I don't think it gets better than that. Let's be <laughs> honest. Does not. Finished in the top 25. Ended up at 14. Played really consistent. Basically hitting 270s combined team. 33 under on the day. Shout out of the game of the invitational basically goes to Nate Stember who hit 13 under, unbelievable. Didn't hit above 70 in all th three days, which is great. Had a rocky start day one, really finished out strong. On the back nine on day three, he in his first five holes he hit four birdies, unbelievable, and then didn't hit under par for in the rest of the, uh, day three. Other highlights: Gregory So Hung. Shot seven under, and on the final day, didn't have one hole over par. Unbelievable. Uh, next event is going to be the Prestige in La Quinta, California. Another great place to play golf. Yeah. February 19th through 21st. Alumni to highlight Wyndham Clark. Dominated at the Pebble Beach Pro-Am. It's going to be this weekend at the Genesis. Tiger Woods is back. His group is going to be Rory McIlroy and Max Homa, two great golfers. Going to be a fun week for both. The current ducks and future ducks. Absolutely, I shout out with Nate Stemmer. I'm gonna tell you a quick story. I actually had to do an uh, interview project for Gateway, and we went to go interview some people playing basketball at the rec. And naturally, I just run into Nate Stemmer, and I had no idea who he was. Apparently, he had his athlete backpack on, so I knew he was an athlete. I just wasn't sure what sport. But I asked him, I'm like, hey, do you play a sport? He's like, yeah, I'm on the men's golf team. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like, you know, I, I I'm, I really, I'm in love with golf. I know the Oregon golf team. And then I go look at home home and realize that he's one of the best golfers yeah, on this team. Dominates. And I was like, wow, I really like didn't realize yeah. that right away. Uh, but shout out Nate Stamper. Max, you got to you right. go. All right. I, I don't got a lot of time, but we're going to shout out track and field. It is absolutely overwhelming how much track and field stuff went down this weekend and how much was how many records were broken and how many events were won. Oregon track and field won six events on Friday and Saturday. They recorded top four. They recorded four top 10 program marks. And we're gonna shout out. We're gonna shout out a couple of them right, right here. The the distance runners went to the Eagle Elite Invitational in Boston, while the sprinters, jumpers, and throwers were at the Don Kirby Invitational in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And in Boston for that Eagle Elite Invitational, oh my gosh, um, these these names. I'm not gonna be able to pronounce these names. I'm so sorry to the athletes. I I, I, I really apologize. But Claudia Kazimierska and Silan Ayilides. Oh man, I I. I I botched it, but that was it. Hard names, yeah. Claudia ran, in her mile, she ran 4 minutes, 30.33 seconds, and Salon ran 4 minutes, 30.38 seconds. That was good for second and third place in the race behind another name I'm not going to be able to pronounce, Bila Jepkiri of Oklahoma State. She, she won the race with a 4-minute, 29.64-second mile. Mm -hmm. Incredible. And those, those two mile times are the first and second fastest mile times in Oregon school history. They beat Jessica Hull's, two, Jessica Hull's 2019 time of 4 minutes and 31 seconds. And on the men's side, we're going to shout out the men's side real quick. The men's team, the men's medley relay team in Boston of con uh, composed of Matthew Erickson, Kojo Manu, James Harding, and Thomas Palfrey, probably botched all those names, <laughs> ran a 9-minute 35.9 second 
medley relay. They won the race. They came in first place by a total of six whole seconds. They won the race by six whole seconds. The runner-up was Texas. An absolutely dominant weekend on the track and field for Oregon. Their next track meet will come, it looks like in April, at the Peyton Jordan Invitational in Stanford. Absolutely dominant. I mean, we're... Their Oregon's a track and field Incredible. school for a reason. They they do track really town USA man exactly track town USA. Seems like an auctioneer uh, there going quick. <laughs> I got about thirty <laughs> seconds going uh, for mine. I'm gonna shout out acrobats and tumbling because I was there and on the call for that. Um, they pulled out a victory, a from be- come from behind victory. Um, they made a few mistakes, but they came back in their team routine. Absolutely killed it. Uh, you know this is a dangerous team. They're number two in the rankings right now, and they pulled off the the season open victory over Hawaii Pacific. Uh, shout out, you know, other Oregon athletics too. women's golf, you know, they got the victory. Same thing yep. with, uh, uh, Oregon lacrosse too. I mean, just what a time yes. to be an Oregon fan. Uh, Dominating. I wish we had more time, but we're done. Uh, Max Ragel, Jack Wargo, Saul Galvan, tune in tomorrow for the director's show right here on 88.1 FM.